Welcome to Franchise Fan Guys. This is our first episode in many, many moons. It's wonderful to be back here with Andy Schmidt and Skid Marr. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, hey, I'm Andy Schmidt, and I am uh, mainly the cause of our uh, absence. So I apologize, dear listeners, because um, I know it's been it's been a hole, a gaping hole in your lives. But now we will fill this hole. That's what we do. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm Skid Marr, and I'm not even supposed to be here today. Right off the bat. Yeah, on topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the apology out of the way. Now we can actually do the work. Franchise fan guys. So we're going to start the Viewisk universe, which there are many movies, but today we're mainly just talking about 1994's movie Clerks. Came out October 19th, 1994. It was rated R, written and directed by Kevin Smith, starring Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson, Marion Gigliagati, Jason Mewes, and Lisa Spoonauer. Had a budget. Definitely is going to be the lowest budget of any movie we ever do on this show. Had a budget of $27,575. Domestic gross of $3.1 million, international gross of $1.3 million, for a total gross of $4.4 million. Uh, it's also important to note, like, this movie, like almost all of his movies, it did much better on home video, on rentals and VHS, and then eventually DVD, than it did in the theaters, even though on a $27,000 budget, that's still pretty incredible. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 90, and an audience score of 89. Any thoughts on those stats, guys? That's a heck of a return on an investment. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 that 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 did really well. I mean, wow. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I think I think the rest of that all like tracked pretty well with what I would have guessed in terms of like audience rating and and um, critics rating is actually a little higher than I would have expected. But uh, but that's great. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess I'll, I'll take it this time. I'll what this movie is about. All right, it's, it's about a guy named Dante. He works at a convenience store in Leonardo, New Jersey. And uh, there's a video store connected to the convenience store where his friend Randall works. Dante has the day off, and he has a hockey game scheduled, but he gets called by his boss and has to go into work on his day off at the convenience store called the Quick Stop. Uh, we meet Dante's girlfriend, Veronica. She seems like she really cares for Dante. Uh, but not long into the movie, we realize Dante has been emotionally cheating on her with his ex, Caitlin. He's been staying on the phone, chatting with her. And uh, while Dante's telling Randall all about how he's been talking to Caitlin, Randall shows him a newspaper about Caitlin being engaged to an Asian design major. And that freaks Dante out. They mentioned that in Clerks 3, they poke fun at Asian design major. But what's your, my whole life, I've never known what that is. What about you guys? Yeah, did it mean he is a person of Asian heritage <laughs> that was studying design or as a person of undetermined heritage studying Asian design? Exactly. I still don't know. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But I had that thought because it seemed so random to just keep referring to this person yeah, <laughs> by their I ethnicity. Mean, his, name is, his name is Sang. <laughs> he has an Asian-sounding first name. And it's funny because they actually yeah. miss mispronounces his name as Singh, which is my sister's name at one point, which is pretty funny. Okay, so then we see Dante deal with a bunch of customers. One customer begs for Dante to use the bathroom and borrow some adult magazines. Other customers, like, turn on him for selling cigarettes. And that's pretty much the whole movie is, like, a bunch of little skits with customers. So then Caitlin arrives. Dante's in awe when he sees her. They think they should date again. 
They, he decides he's going to cheat on Veronica and go on a date with Caitlin. Later that night, Caitlin comes back before the date. She has sex with Dante in the bathroom, or so she thinks. And it's actually the guy who used the porno mags earlier in the day and had died in the bathroom masturbating. So then she goes to a mental asylum. Veronica and Dante break up, and Dante has to close the store now as a single man. Okay, that was the longest uh, recap I'll ever do. <laughs> Very you, thorough. You, you nailed it, though. <laughs> <laughs> some people would say this movie's not about anything i think that's what what it's about it's about a a dude with who uh two women want him and his selfishness blows it yeah that's pretty much it yeah no i definitely thought it was about something like i mean by the by the end you know dante learns a lesson he doesn't he doesn't wind up getting what he what he wants like what he wants is by the end is you know the relationship with not Caitlin, the other girl. Veronica. Veronica, yeah. And he, he winds up, because of his actions, like he pays a price for those actions, but he learns the lesson that, you know, like a more, uh, you know, a, a relationship that's more, um, I don't know, more two-way street relationship and, and that has respect in it is more valuable and more desirable than sort of the, the you know, the hot, passionate flame but ultimately isn't on solid ground i mean that seems that seemed pretty clear to me that that was what the the whole lesson was and what what the character growth was so i'd say it's definitely about something i don't know that that's the most interesting part of the movie but that's what it's about i'm conceptually it's meant to be a sort of a take on dante's inferno where it's his journey through the nine circles of hell, like each one of those those scene descriptors, like at the beginning of the, the, the text, at the beginning of the scene, that's nine of those, and like each one of those is like one of his his uh, phases of his journey. And so, I mean, I guess it's that's something that's interesting. Um, <laughs> I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, he's a pretty always for most of his life. He's a pretty religious guy, like pretty steeped in Catholic sort of tradition, which has come out in you know other movies, like obviously mo- most obviously Dogma. But uh, yeah, that's that's something that is apparently true. Also, you're, now you're you're not talking about Dante the character. You're talking about Kevin Smith, your your friend. No, yes, my friend Kevin Smith, whom I right. hate. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what's both of your guys, uh, your history with this movie, with Clerks, and overall your history with the whole Views universe? How old were you when you saw Clerks for the first time? And how'd you hear about it? Uh, I was 47 years old uh, when I saw right. Clerks for the first time. In case you're like wondering, you've in, I, recently, <laughs> I recently turned 47. yeah like you've worked in comics for so much of your life and this is like the comic fans shining moments and like you've never (laughs) saw it it's so it's so funny uh yeah i uh yeah like i was certainly aware of it like when it came out and i heard good things i just never i never sat down and watched the whole thing i mean in college you know people had it on so like i so there were when I was watching it the other night, like there were parts of it that I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, I know this. I know this bit. Like I knew they played hockey on the roof. Like I knew, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I recognized a lot of it when I was in when I was watching it. But it was it was really fun to watch it. And I've 
<laughs> I've seen a bunch of the other movies in um, that that Kevin Smith has made. Not all of them, but I've seen most of them. And um, and so it was kind of it was kind of neat. The other thing that was kind of neat about it for me was just even though it wasn't like I was watching something that I had previously enjoyed or loved or whatever, it like took me back to that '90s era and to like when. Reservoir Dogs was fresh and new, and you know, yeah. the, the quick talking dialogue stuff, but with but also being something a little newer for me, obviously. So, um, but <laughs> my wife asked me this morning when we were walking our dog, she's like, Did you like it? and I was like, Yeah, I did. <laughs> like, as a 47 year old, like, I don't really need this movie in my life, but you know, had I been 19 or 17 or whatever, when uh, you know, when the movie came out and I watched it, I probably would have thought it was really good and really funny. And parts of it are funny. So I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I need to, like, I don't need to throw this into my, my library of rotating movies, but, but yeah, but it's also not made for a 47 year old guy. So like, I get, like, I get it. It's fine. So that's, I mean, yeah, but you know, I've, I've met Kevin Smith a bunch of times and, and uh you know certainly i'm familiar i'm more familiar with his comics work which also uh carries a lot of catholic stuff in it specifically as his daredevil and batman runs mm-hmm. um but um but yeah I, I i i like him more as a comics writer than i do probably as a as a filmmaker but, but yeah that's my take on it what about you skid I think I I remember distinctly hearing about it for the first time on an episode of Siskel and Ebert at the movies, and I was I was trying to track down that episode because I've been watching a bunch of old episodes of that show, and I've been trying to find that specific one, and I so far no luck, but they, especially Roger Ebert, like really liked it, and it was I think they showed I think they showed a clip of the Death Star. Uh, scene discussion and I was just like whoa because that was a pretty rare thing at the time was that kind of insertion of and you know as a giant huge Star Wars fan of that of that kind of like Star Wars talk into like other kind of of pop culture thing so I was just like oh okay and so I think I did finally see it that year on VHS and yeah, it definitely spoke to me because, you know, th- someone who, a guy like Kevin Smith, who is very close to me in age, he's three years older than me, and as of this recording, and the, you know, I was, I, I was working, well, I was, at the time I was in college, but like I'd done a lot of like shitty retail jobs and everything, and and, you know, Kevin Smith is into a lot of the same stuff that I was into. And that was one of the first moments that I felt like a voice from my generation was speaking and reaching a, an audience, a wider audience. So that was pretty meaningful for me. But uh, I don't know. I didn't. And then I ended up watching, I think, most of the other movies in the Viewers universe. I'm not sure if I've seen them all. And I've in enjoyed them all but i haven't like actually i think i saw jay and silent bob strike back with my cousin at a a test screening uh uh, at lincoln's lincoln square cinemas um 
but I haven't been like a super fan. The only thing that I did really like that I was a huge fan of was the Clerks animated TV show, which was uh, tragically oh, yeah. short-lived. But I watched that with uh, Pat, our friend Pat McGrath, who is a big, uh, giant uh, Kevin Smith fan. And he turned me on to that, the animated show. And we love that. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's... And, and watching it again last night, I was just like, this actually is like really good kind of miraculously good considering the low budget the conditions that they were working under the sort of limited pool of acting talent that they had to draw from like everything but it all happened it's it all happens to work and i think he said at one point that if any one person had no actually known what they were doing it would have ruined the whole thing and you can, I can kind of see that happening. It's just like the reason that it all holds together is because everyone is sort of on the same level. And yeah. it ends up creating this this world that just feels kind of cohesive. Um, yeah, and, so and one it, of the things that's, that's nice about that the world that he creates is like it feels adjacent to real. Like it does not, like yeah. I don't feel like that store, those characters exist, but, but they're adjacent to people I have known, right? Or mm-hmm. they represent you know, people I've known, but exaggerated or whatever. But like, he didn't really try to, to make it feel real. And so like, cause there are definitely places in it where I'm just like, well, no, like that's not going to happen. Like the guy that keeps coming back and asking for the, you know, the porno mag to go in the bathroom or whatever. <laughs> like it definitely goes beyond like believability if this is supposed to be reality, but it sets itself up from the very get go as kind of adjacent to reality and so those things all kind of they all kind of work and the fact that the that you know the way it's shot and the acting is a little you know it's a little you know uh chewing gum together or whatever like actually i think all does kind of work to a certain degree kind of in its favor to make it have this sort of otherness feel to it which i think also benefits it yeah what's your opinion of the dialogue i love the dialogue but Seth Rogen in an interview told Kevin Smith, he's like, you're the reason I started writing movies. He's like, but no one talks like that. People don't talk like that in real life, how you write, (laughs) which there's some truth in that. Like certain characters, I can't think of any now, they just use bigger words than they normally would. I feel like some of these random characters, like the hockey player friends and whatnot, did that stick out to any of you guys? It sticks out more when I watch it with subtitles on too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I've always had sort of a love hate relationship with stylized dialogue like that. I'll either with somebody like David Mamet or, um, oh God, uh, West Wing, uh, oh, Aaron Social Sorkin. Network. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin. Like, I'll, I will, like, sometimes, like, this is amazing, or it's just like, I, it sticks out to me like a sore thumb so much that it's really distracting and I hate it. In this one, it works for me, but you're right. People don't actually talk like that. It's, it's, but it is clever and it's fun. So I forgive it. And you know, it's not the most important thing. Yeah. Like I just looked up the, the one hockey players like, but you're living in denial and suppressing rage, motherfucker. Like no one's ever said that. To me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny. That's, that's, it's funny. Cause you know, yeah. cause yeah, you're totally. right. You probably wouldn't say that. It's pretty funny. Or maybe it was the delivery of it, too, that makes it seem a little funny. I love the dialogue in this movie. But it, is, it is great. It's really good. I never thought about that till much later. And I saw this movie when I was too young to realize people don't speak like that. <laughs> uh, it definitely crossed my mind that people don't speak like that. But um, 
but as somebody that deals with scripting a lot and and edits a lot of a lot of fiction writing the the reality is you really don't want to write dialogue the way people actually talk because the way we all talk no matter what our education is we all sound like morons we use the same words <laughs> like over and over we say um and uh all the time um and we're morons yeah it's boring um and so so what what most writers really strive for, whether they're conscious of thinking of it this way or not, is the illusion of of how we speak, right? So it's it's it, it's almost always going to be more clever than the way we actually speak, um, more articulate to whatever degree. But you're trying to capture the flavor and the expression, the emotional experience of the way that we the way that we talk. And so, you know, when it gets, this is more stylized than most dialogue writing is. Um, but again, like it also helps contribute to that otherworldliness for me anyway. So like, I kind of like it. I definitely put Tarantino in that category. And there are times where I'm like, the, this is brilliant. Like the opening of Pulp Fiction, the Ezekiel 2517, like that whole bit with Samuel L. Jackson, I think is phenomenal. Right. But no one talks like that ever especially a hitman, <laughs> but it's amazing. And I'm glad that got made because I love it. Um, and I kind of feel that way about clerks too. Um, you know, it just, it just, it, it doesn't strike me as, as something you're ever going to run across in reality, but, uh, but it certainly was fun and I appreciated it. What was your first experience with clerks, Tom? So when I was, I think I told you guys this at Comic-Con, but I haven't told many people this on many podcasts. Uh, when I was 11, there was a, uh, a rock station in my hometown. They were called Rock 107 back then. They're called Rock 106.9 now. They had a top 10 at 10 where fans would announce the top 10 songs. 10 different fans would be like, they'd say who the song was for. At that time period, it would have been like No Doubt and Rancid and Sublime and Green Day and those sort of bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nirvana, Bush, this was the Mm mid-90s. So I really wanted to be on the top 10 at 10, and I just kept at like 9.50, 9.45, I just started calling them over and over, like, can I be on the top 10 at 10? (laughs) And they uh, called me a pain in the ass and uh, like aired that. And my dad was really upset when he learned that some grown man was calling his 11-year-old son a pain in the ass on the radio. So... So he wrote them a letter, mailed them a letter, um, and they wrote back an apology letter. And in the apology letter, they, as a parting gift for their uh, for calling me a pain in the ass, they gave me the Mallrats CD, the soundtrack, which a lot of those bands I just mentioned are on, mm. like Silverchair is on it and Bush is on it. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And uh, all, most of the songs, probably 75% of the songs were all unreleased. They weren't on the band's albums. So I loved that. And I was like, what is this Mallrats thing? It wasn't out. It was in that time period between theatrical release and video store release. So once it came out, like I already felt like I was a fan. I had had the soundtrack for six months or so and uh, rented Mallrats. And at the time when I was 11, that I think it was the funniest thing I had ever seen in my life. I thought at that, <laughs> at that point, it essentially... No disrespect to Adam Sandler, but at that point, like Adam Sandler and anything like that was dead to me. I was just like, <laughs> oh, this is the new, this is what I'm into now. I'm into Pulp Fiction and Kevin Smith now as an 11-year-old. Uh. But uh, 
So I, I got mall rats. I was way into it. And then my brother, who's three years older than me and was much more Generation X than I was, was like, no, screw mall rats. You don't want mall rats. You want clerks. That's the real, real deal. I was like, what? So then I go to the video store. Uh, the guy at the video store loved me. He was probably like 18, 19. He seemed way older. And he was just like this 11-year-old, like, hello, do you have clerks? <laughs> and um, he would always just <laughs> rent me any movie I wanted. And... Um, so then I got Clerks that, that summer, the summer I turned 12, I watched Clerks so much, too many times. And like I said, I didn't understand, I learned so many words from this movie and there were so many things I had never thought about or probably didn't need to think about for a few years that happened in this movie. And yeah, I watched it all the time, uh, it and Mallrats. And then when Chasing Amy came out, uh, I didn't know they were going to continue it on. I think I was going to either, I think I, I was looking up the dates. I don't, I was either going to see Austin Powers with some friends or I was going to go see um, Volcano, one of those two movies. I remember standing in line, getting our tickets and seeing Jay and Silent Bob in another movie and like my heart dropping and being like, I can't believe I have to see Austin Powers when there's another one of these <laughs> in the world. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my uh, long history with Clerks. Yeah. So you're the super fan. You're a big, yeah, big yeah, fan yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is my favorite movie ever made. I don't yeah. think that'll ever be topped. Uh, wow. Um, yeah. I think that's, uh, I, there's a buddy of mine I stay with, James, in uh, San Diego, and he's got a, a signed movie poster of this in his, in his, uh, of Clerks in his apartment, and it's signed by a whole bunch of people, and I think it's his favorite movie of all time as well. I think, I think, yeah, you, it's, along with a lot of movies, like, it, you have to see it at the right time. Like in your life, I think even more so than like, it, like I don't know that it has to be in the '90s, but like seeing it at the right time. It is interesting that you know a lot of the pop culture references are you know they're pop culture references, so they they've aged. Um, uh, it was funny too because when they got I had never seen Star Wars when this came when I saw this. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. I learned about oh, wow. Star Wars. I learned about the Death Star from this. Oh wow! Okay, that colors how you feel about that movie. I bet. Uh, <laughs> the great yeah, tragedy I mean, of the second Death Star destruction. Yeah, yeah. For me, I have more. I have more of a history just with like Kevin Smith's writing and his influence than I do, you know, with with this movie or even any of his movies in particular. Because, like Skid was saying, like I've been more in comics, um, and uh, he's he's a he's a real big deal there. So, um, yeah, that's for me. That's. That's fascinating, though, like that, that you as an 11 year old boy was just you were just going in renting whatever. And like, I know exactly what that video guy was like. He's like, he's like, he knew you were 11. He didn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have 120 days of Sodom. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny that your first exposure to it was the Mallrats soundtrack CD, because that was that was Harvey Weinstein's probably biggest contribution to clerks was yeah. the soundtrack oh, oh totally clerks the version without the soundtrack is, is a, a totally different movie i Did yeah you ever watch that I, like on I, the dvd i can only imagine and i know that the licensing for the songs for the soundtrack was like way more than the budget for the movie which is pretty oh, of course yeah. yeah yeah i don't know what the actual the theatrical release the the budget i said of twenty seven thousand. it was probably more like three hundred thousand because of that oh wow like there's some, I would think there's like Bad Religion, Soul Asylum, or Collective Soul. Yeah, there's some. There's like bands with hit songs. Yeah, 
Um, so, okay, so Clerks is a 29-year-old movie as of the time of recording this that people are still talking about. It started the Viewisk universe, which currently has nine live-action movies stemming from these characters, has an animated series that Skid was talking about, has multiple comic book series, and it has a cartoon movie. Uh, the live-action movies are Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Clerks 2, Zack and Miri Make a Porno, which it really isn't connected, but there is one character that shows up later in these movies in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, so that is officially part of the Viewsk universe, I guess, now. And then Clerks 3, which came out about a year ago. Uh, the most notable comic book series, there's two. The one's called Chasing Dogma. It's what happens in between Chasing Amy and Dogma. It's amazing. It's one of the first comic books I ever read. And then there's a new one called Quick Stops, which is essentially, it's still coming out now. It's essentially just short stories based in this time period, based in the 90s with these characters. So with all that said, why do you think people are still talking about this movie? Why is it a movie that originally cost like 27 grand? Why was it added to the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, citing it to be culturally significant? And why are we here discussing it in 2023? Do you think it's because of all the movies it spawned or because of Kevin Smith becoming famous on his own? Or do you think it's because of uh, its own merit, the movie itself? Uh, I think it is a a big part of it is that the movie itself, I think, sort of kickstarted a phase of independent cinema that hadn't really existed before it, it, it hit the scene. And so I think that it's culturally important for that reason. It is good. And, and you know, for me, for like Gen X, like it was like the first sort of voice uh, of that generation that, uh, you know, most of us that had been able to see. And then it is just like this supreme underdog story. It's like everyone, most people know this story, like he paid for it with his, the, his credit cards and he sold his comic book collection and he got like a, a check, uh, like a flood insurance check from FEMA that covered part of it. So he really just laid everything on the line and he's working at this actual, this convenience store that they shot it at and with, they, they let him shoot there like in his off hours. So for like two weeks, 20 days, like he didn't sleep, barely slept at all. And he's just like working at the store during the day and then like going right into shooting at the store like after it closed so, and I think there was actually, there was one other movie that was, that I, that I know of that was kind of like that. And have you guys ever seen Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle? Oh, no. Long, long time ago. But yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I really love that movie. I just watched it again recently. And it was a, it was the similar kind of story where Robert Townsend, like he made that movie on his own and he paid for it with his credit cards. And uh, instead of driving him into lifetime debt, he actually made it work. And it is, uh, I, it's worth watching if you've never seen it or it's been a while since you've seen it. I, I really do recommend it. It's very funny. And I think Robert Townsend is like one of the most mega talented guys ever. And he's, he's on uh, The Bear now. Um, he's got a recurring role in the, the, the new show, The Bear, which is also excellent. Um, so I'm glad for that. But, uh, but yeah, this is like one of a very small handful of examples of something like that someone taking their own fate into their hands like this and taking a huge risk and really making their own thing which was way harder to do when kevin smith did it than it is say today like just the 
technology and the availability of it is just was just completely a different different landscape at that point so uh it's even more impressive and so and in a way i mean i think he's sort of a forefather for so much of the diy media that we have now i mean he was one of the first guys to kind of lay the groundwork for that so um yeah and i think that sort of and then speaking to that kind of nerdy demographic that didn't have a lot of people like kind of acknowledging it in that way that and ended up being really lucrative it's like in a really fertile ground for fandom one of the first people to kind of plant those seeds there that paid off in a big way and that ended up with like the sort of interest that spawned like all these different movies too so um yeah i think for it's uh, it's a bunch of different reasons but mostly that yeah, I think I think what you had said earlier too, Skid, about how it was one of the first ones that, as a Gen Xer, like was speaking your language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think that's part of it too. It's like it it's culturally relevant because it hit on something on a part of the culture that hadn't been tapped into as much at the time. So I think that's I think that's part of it too. You know, it's interesting that that you know, it spawned this universe. It's certainly not at first glance, something where you're like, you could build a universe out of this. Like, I don't really (laughs) care what's going on at the liquor store across the street. Like, I don't need a whole movie about that, you know? Yeah. Um, He predated, presaged the MCU. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, the, the, the way it's stitched together is pretty, is pretty, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like it's not like you can't watch any one of these movies. Well, maybe there's one or two that that like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back has a ton of callbacks, as I recall. But um, you know, most of these most of these movies they're pretty much their own thing, right? Like you don't need to watch Mallrats to understand anything going on in Chasing Amy. Um, or at least I don't yeah. think no, so. But it is enhanced. But if it, yeah, it's it like is enhanced. I'll, rewarded. Know, yeah. I'll know soon enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but like, you know, I mean, I remember going to see Dogma and just kind of being like, all right, like that had nothing to do with anything else like that I remembered, but I wasn't that into it. Like it could be that it's a bigger, you know, it could be that as I watch them for the podcast and in, in, you know, closer succession, you know, I'll probably see a lot more that of overlap. I mean, to me, it was basically if Jay and Silent Bob showed up, then it was it was connected and that was sort of, that was sort of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think, I think that's why it's deemed sort of culturally relevant is just because it was one of the first ones to tap into sort of that generational change along with reservoir dogs and, you know, a a handful of others where I, like, I remember when I saw reservoir dogs being like, this is new and different and it's sort of, you know, not speaking my language. Like I wanted to go rob banks and murder people, but like it felt more mine as opposed to like the movies that I had been watching growing up kind of felt like the generation ahead of me. Um, if yeah. that is a really exciting moment, that sort of period, I think I kind of, I envy like younger people when that, when their media first starts to emerge, it's, it's a really cool thing. I remember it being very cool that like, this is an example of it. Yeah. Reservoir dogs, Pulp Fiction like that. It's, it's a cool moment to kind of live through that, that sort of 
first time that you're you're you know that your generation's uh, perspective is kind of seen it's it's cool yeah totally i'm an elder millennial i thought i was gen x until my 20s uh i feel like i actually am gen gen x just because i got to experience a lot of things like this really young and then when my generation came around i was playing in bands that were relevant in that time and part of that but I still was like viewing it as it was the next generation, even though it was for mm. people my age. I was, I connect much more with this era, so I'm kind of an in between. Uh, like I said, I was 11, so this movie wasn't made for me. Neither was Pulp Fiction <laughs> or Reservoir Dogs, but I have the same feeling as you guys, where I'm like, oh, that's my, those are my movies. That yeah. sort of feeling. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Um, oh, and I should point out too that I think how how much kevin smith was inspired by the movie slacker the richard, richard linklater movie which is another example of someone like yeah. kind of doing it themselves um uh, but uh yeah and then it, but it's that's a cool kind of cycle of inspiration where he he's inspired by slacker and then he ends up inspiring so many other people like through his own work so yeah Totally. I love Richard Linklater. I, I, I think I like, I mean, I know I like Clerks better than Slacker. I think it's cool that Slacker just inspired, he was just like, this counts as a movie. Like, I, oh, I yeah, can do like, this. Yeah, it's like, that's and a I movie? Think, oh, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and Slacker is really good. I, I like Slacker quite a bit as well. Yeah, but, yeah me too. Yeah. Have you seen that one, Andy? I have not. But now I'm curious. And if Netflix hadn't, hadn't stopped shipping me DVDs, I would put it on my <laughs> Netflix queue. <laughs> For me to answer the question, you guys both touched on it. I think we've touched on everything. Obviously, it was like he spoke to a generation that was more your guys' generation, but I think my generation uh, fell in love with it on VHS. Um, and it became, with my generation, it became like probably five people in my middle school knew this movie and we were all friends and things like this was a movie you showed people hmm. and a word of mouth movie and like even up to... When I started dating my wife, I was like, you've never seen Clerks and, and Chasing Amy. And uh, we lived in New Jersey at the time, uh, not right when we first started dating. And I showed her all these movies. I don't know if she liked them. She acted like she liked them at the time. It was a f great moment. And then one day uh, I took her to the quick stop because we were going to Red Bank uh, regardless and, and made a stop at the quick stop and went in there. I've been there twice. In 08, I made an album in New Jersey. I woke up before recording the drums that day and just drove to the quick stop by myself. No one in the band cared at all uh, <laughs> that I was going on this voyage. No one came with me. Uh, but when I took her there that day, then we went to Red Bank, where we were initially going, and we had lunch. And then we went to this record shop across the street. It was a, a record store day. And we didn't realize it was the record store from Chasing Amy. That was completely unplanned. Oh, so cool. we had this like Kevin Smith day. And in Red Bank is also where his store is. Uh, yeah. James Lana Bob's secret stash. So yeah, yeah. there was accidentally um, the Viewsk Universe uh, first three months of dating day. Oh, I guess that's, that's the only time period you can get away with that. Yeah. I mean, if the relationship um, survives you doing that, I, you knew it was destined <laughs> for greatness. Yeah. But I could be wrong saying this. I feel like... I mean, I, I'm very out of touch with uh, people getting into movies who are like 20 years younger than me. But I would assume if people love Superbad or love Judd Apatow movies, then they're like the recommendations would show them this. And they'd be like, what is this? Or there, I feel like there still is a word of mouth with it. I don't know. What's your guys' opinion on that? I mean, you guys got know. me to watch it. So sure. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know like what the 
what it's kind of like for people now. I don't know how people re- respond to it now, except for Andy. Um, I, I, I have no idea. I don't know if it's like, I, I would think it's that a lot of people sort of up with our kinds of sensibilities would probably find it relevant to them. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What's interesting to me is like looking at the list of, of movies that are in the universe here is that this is still the one that stands out to me as the one that people would most likely want to repeat. Like I remember it was like, it was a big deal. Well, it was a big deal when chasing Amy came out in my circles. Cause it's all about comic books, but it was a really big deal. And there was a major push for dogma when it was coming out. And mm-hmm. like Kevin Smith sort of like famously said, like, it doesn't matter what the budget is on my movies. They only gross $35,000 or $35 million. Like, like he, that was like his ceiling and dogma was supposed to be the one that broke through that. And maybe it did, but I think that the expectations for dogma was, was that it was going to be a really big hit and it wasn't a huge hit. I think it was fairly well received as I recall, but, but I look at that list now and I'm like, yeah, Clerks is the one that stands out that seems to me to still have... Now, granted, I have not seen all of these yet, but like nobody really talks about Zack and Miri make porno anymore, right? Yeah. I didn't even know there was a Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie. I remember hearing about that, but I wasn't even sure it was true. Um, and I know there's a Clerks 2 and 3, but like even after watching Clerks 1 and enjoying it, I don't really feel like I need a Clerks 2 or three. I, Clerks two was actually really funny. I liked Clerks two. I loved Clerks two. Yeah, those, those are really yeah. good. Yeah, I saw it in the theater too. It was really good. Uh, yeah. Anyway, my point. Uh, I'm looking forward to them, guys. I really am. But uh, <laughs> but my point just being that I look at I look at what at the movies that Kevin Smith has made, and Clerks seems like the one that 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 connected in a lasting way. So I feel like if you're going to go back and like, if somebody gets interested in Kevin Smith, because they just really loved ride along that clerks is still the, the one that they're, they're going to go for. Yeah, no clerks is the, uh, in my opinion, it's the best one, the most important one, but I, I do like a lot of the movies. I think, yeah, you guys mentioned about how you just mentioned how Chasing Amy's all about comic books. And yeah, Mallrats, I learned who Stan Lee was because of Mallrats. He's been pushing comic books. Uh, yeah, I, I, in his show, Comic Book Men, the show was incredible. I don't know if I love you that, saw show. that show. I really like that show yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah, it was a very good show. And Jason Mewes is always showing up. It was, yeah. a, it was a, it's, it's always just like just loitering in the store. It's like constantly. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> Speaking of comic book men, we'll segue into our next question because Walt Flanagan is the star of comic book men, one of the stars, he and Brian Johnson, and they're both in a lot of these movies. But in Clerks, Walt Flanagan plays five or six characters. So how do you guys feel about the casting in this film for such a low budget? And did you notice that certain people were playing multiple characters? Honestly, I did not notice that. Um, I thought the casting was was fine. Like we talked about before, like they're all kind of on a similar level in terms of, you know, there, there are definitely times in that movie where you're like aware that these are not, um, you know, not all got a lot of experience acting in front of cameras. Like there's, there's some sort of awkward positioning that they kind of have to do and stuff like that. Um, and some of them stumble on, on a line here or there, 
Um, but again, I think yeah. that's probably as he cannot speak bunch. good like us. <laughs> Sorry, that's one of the lines that sounds so yeah. awkward. I love that scene. He cannot speak as good as us. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, but I thought that I thought I think the casting is is actually pretty darn strong. Um, like everybody that plays their role seems to seems to understand the role that they're playing at the very least, even if they're not maybe capable of like executing it at a really high level. Like they they get what the role is and they and they're good at they're good enough to play the part and and get my you know um suspension of disbelief wasn't infringed upon a ton so i thought the casting was was good and i definitely did not know i wasn't looking for it but i didn't notice that um that you had the same actors playing multiple roles which actor was that 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 played multiple roles which what roles did he play there's two there's two. The one that's the most shocking, yeah, the producer of the film, Scott Mosier, who produced almost all of the Viewskew or all of the Viewskew movies, and now he's a director. He directed the latest Grinch movie, which is incredible that trajectory. Mm. But he uh, he plays Willem Black, the guy with the beard, who's like, "That's beautiful, man." Yeah. And then he plays him, but then he also plays. He shaves his beard. And he looks completely different. He's a guy who wants a pack of cigarettes who goes up and plays hockey to get them to reopen the store. And then that's the only special effects in the movie, too, when Willem is down on the ground. and was like, you guys open? And then Scott turns around, beardless Scott, and is like, no. It's him talking to himself. <laughs> oh. So uh, Scott Mosier played two people, and I would have never noticed that. But then no. um, Walt Flanagan, he plays uh, the offended customer, he plays the egg, the guy smashing the eggs against the window. He plays one of the guys screaming, cancer merchant. Uh, he, a few other, but yeah, he plays five or six characters. The, in in Mallrats, he plays the the fanboy, the guy who's like, tell him Steve Dave, who uh, that's how they got their podcast name. And then that later evolved into becoming uh, the show Comic Book Men. Hmm. Yeah, yeah no, didn't funny. notice any I of mean, that. They, they, they had to double up with a lot of the casting because a lot of the people that they had cast originally to play these bit parts just didn't show up they just wouldn't show up yeah so they had to like grab like whoever was around to just yeah actually i think i think kevin smith's mother plays the the milk the woman like looking through all the milk milk made yeah because like there was something because they're shooting at 2 a.m and the the person that they had cast to come in just didn't show up so he called his mom and she Mm -hmm. came down Ah, moms are the best. They are. <laughs> Although it's funny, like, hearing the stories about Kevin Smith's mom. Like, she saw the movie in the theater, and she came up to Kevin Smith. She's like, that was the biggest piece of garbage I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and she's Embarrassed and like, the family. Yeah, and someone, and someone called, when it started getting some word of mouth, and uh, there was a writer for The Village Voice that called up, like, wanting that she had been turned on, and, like, she was going to interview him. And uh, she was just like, you mean somebody actually liked my son's movie? So it's like, I don't believe this. Like he's arguing with a woman on the phone. So it was pretty, it's pretty funny. She sounds like quite the character. Do either of you know about, while we're talking about casting, do you know about the live action TV sitcom? There's a pilot on YouTube uh, about Clerks, called Clerks, uh, starring Jim Brewer. And um, (laughs) so with more quote unquote professional actors, have you either of you heard of that or seen it? I no. saw I saw one little clip from it, but that's about it. Have, you, Andy? No, I, no, I haven't seen it. Have you, Tom? 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it feels so wrong. The guy who playing Jay, they weren't allowed to call him Jay either because Kevin Smith. Those are the two characters he owns, Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, his name's Ray instead of Jay. It is so bad. And Jim Brewer, I like him in Half Baked and all, but like it just felt. And it was only like one year after this movie came out. It just felt so wrong to have a different Dante. Oh, is that? Um, oh, is that old? Old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's pre Half Baked Jim Brewer. Uh, it's like oh wow, old show. Yeah, yeah. I think the most magical thing about the casting is that Jason Mewes, a role was written for him to play himself. <laughs> and he had no interest. He was a roofer. He was a teenager roofer who then ends up getting his handprints like at the Grauman's Chinese Theater yeah, from playing that is himself crazy. For, yeah. for 30 years. And they met in a, through mutual friends. They were on a road trip to a comic convention. And yeah. that, and he, Jason Hughes is like sitting in the front seat and cracking everybody up and Kevin Smith sitting in the back. No one could, could hear him. So he's just like sitting there seething. He's just like, I'm funnier than this guy. And then he said, and <laughs> after they met, they came back. Jason Mewes kept coming over to his house and be like, what are we going to do? What are we going to hang? We're going to hang out today. And he was, and he literally said to him, he was just like, we're not actually friends. We have friends in common. Like there's no reason for us to hang out. And he's like, cool, cool. So what are we doing today? <laughs> like, but he, we, I can totally imagine. I could totally see Jason Mewes like the, doing that. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, it's an amazing personal journey for for a guy like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they were going to possibly recast him in Mallrats since it was a universal movie. They were going to have Seth Green play him. He had to re-audition to play the role of himself. <laughs> Just so bizarre. <laughs> That's so... Um, but yeah, very thankful that didn't happen. I met him. I, ruined I met the him, universe. I met him at a comic book convention. He was... Uh, uh, it was a small comic convention in uh, Texas, which is, in case you don't know, not a small state. And uh, he was just outside smoking a cigarette on break, and I was outside talking to uh, talking to somebody. And we wound up just hanging out. So I have this uh, I have this very fun memory of uh, hanging out outside of a convention center on a hot sunny day with um, with um, Jason Mews and. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he, but he played Chewbacca. Um, oh, Peter uh, Mayhew. Yeah, Peter Mayhew. Okay. Yeah, Jason Mewes, that, Peter yeah. Mayhew, um, and uh, and uh, Mark Singer was nearby, but nobody was talking to him. Uh, but yeah, those <laughs> I love Mark funny, Singer so much. Funny, funny day. Uh, just like, huh? This is this is where my life has taken me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jason Mewes. He most was, of those he guys was were very nice. Cons. He was always at yeah. those cons, like he was always just hanging out. Yeah, but he was—he was really like just nice, like hanging out and everything. I mean, not that I would expect him not to be nice, but like he and Peter Mayhew were both, you know, really nice and uh, and just like just super down to earth and just we we're all just chatting. I don't even remember what we were talking about. It was just sort of small talk, but it was, it was fun. It's a nice. So it's, it's a funny memory now. Just like yeah, so I was just hanging yeah. out with these two guys. <laughs> <laughs> I met him. I met him in LA once, but then my a funny memory of him. I didn't meet him this time. I could have, but it was. Uh, I was taking an Uber. My wife and I were taking an Uber to go see Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. It's not stand up, but I guess it's stand up. It's just them on stage talking, and it's really entertaining. Uh, it's called Jay, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Uh, a big oh, part yeah, of the show yeah. is 
Yeah, it's a podcast. They record the podcast live there. And Jay will tell stories of when he was a drug addict that are, are funny stories, but he does it to uh, keep himself clean. Mm-hmm. So he's like embarrassing himself. And uh, it was really good. But we were taking an Uber to the comedy club and the driver, it was like once we were like a couple blocks from the venue, he's like, so what do you guys see in tonight? And what are you guys doing tonight? And I was like, oh, do you like... Uh, Jay and Silent Bob movies. He's like, I love Jay. And he started going, I love Jay. Then we got out of the car. I was like, there's Jay. And he was like right next to the guy in the driver freaked out. (laughs) That's funny. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, he was just standing outside. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, there he is. It's so funny because he is just like a a guy. And it was, you know, Andy, when we were going all those comic conventions like back in the early 2000s like he was just always there he was just always just like hanging around like he was it's just weird like he is a movie star he stars in movies but he's just this freaking guy that's just always hanging out in places where we happen to be it's very funny (laughs) yeah all right so uh how do you guys rank this movie from one to ten uh andy kick it off uh i'd give it an eight all right yeah, uh, I'll agree with that. I'll give it an 8. I'll give it... I'm going to give it a 10 just because <laughs> some of the stuff we said. It It is a, such an inspiration that everything we said, and a million people have said, were that like, you have no excuse not to, to make art. Uh, you can have some setbacks or whatever, but uh, like the fact that he only wrote it because he had the store to film it in, like things like that I find inspiring, where it's like you yeah. find a way. Oh, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot about the story and about about making and all that that's inspiring. I think had I seen this in the '90s, I probably would have given it a nine. Like I probably, I probably would have loved this. Like in 1994 or whenever it was that it came out. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, there's there's definitely a lot to be inspired by. Not that I am recommending that people go into credit card debt to make a low budget <laughs> movies. But hey, it worked for Kevin. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. And as far as that's another documentary, (laughs) as far as cultural impact, I mean, it's it is pretty massive. Also, a little fun fact too: they they initially the MPAA they wanted to give it an NC seventeen rating, despite the fact that there's no nudity, no violence, anything, just because of the language. And it was actually uh, Harvey Weinstein hired Alan Dershowitz to negotiate the rating back down to an R, without making any changes. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and another thing, like that probably costs more than the whole movie. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably so. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Franchise Fan Guys. If you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around where the three of us are going to talk about our experiences working in retail. Please write a review and give a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Intro music by Tom Breifogel and John Harvey. To connect, visit FranchiseFanGuys.com at FranchiseFanGuys on Instagram, and at GuysFranchise on Twitter. Franchise Fan Guys.